Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Michelle Green-Rhodes. Michelle is a registered nurse, an executive wellness consultant, and now the editor-in-chief of the new magazine, The Color of Wellness. The magazine is geared toward women of color and written by health professionals. Michelle joins us to bring some solid and important insights to guide us on the path to vibrant health. Michelle Green Rhodes, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Well, I am always keenly interested in discussing topics about health and wellness and doing all that we can. This morning, the focus is really on people of color, on black women, because there's a lot of disparity that exists so oh so tragically in in our country may perhaps even around the world but we're focusing here on our country and what exists so um i appreciate your commitment to this michelle and for being here to talk about this today yes absolutely and the, the numbers don't lie so yes it is a, a real thing sometimes i think people out there think oh this is always in the news. It's always being spoken of, but it is a real problem. So I'm just grateful to be able to be a voice uh, regarding this matter. And that voice is a particularly important and very strong voice because you have really a a great uh, series of qualifications to be speaking about this. So I thought it might be good for you to give us a little bit of a bio of your history, what you have done in terms of this career. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm a registered nurse by trade. Uh, I reside in Florida. And so actually 23 years as a registered nurse, I might add. (laughs) And so um, most of that time, as you know, with nurses, We often pick a specialty and and dig down into very specific parts of health and wellness. So my particular, and I still registered, by the way, in the state of Florida, but my particular specialty is and still is what they call managed care nursing. And a lot of people don't know what that is. So really is the nurse who is um, working behind the scenes when it comes to payments of your health care and that might look like insurance. It might look like private insurance. It might look like uh, Medicare, Medicaid, all sorts of health plans, just really understanding the business side of healthcare and how we can make an impact and look at trends, data, reports, and make decisions as to what we can do to help populations out there. So uh, that's a little bit about me as a nurse, but it really was the starting point for me to dig down into more. How could I give more? (laughs) Always challenging myself to do more, but and we'll talk about my story in a moment. It really, that started with my mother. But um, fast forward with me wanting to do more, I was able to leverage that experience and now look at trending data. And so what has sparked my interest through this COVID pandemic was the rate of African-Americans passing away, our, our mortality rate as a compared to other races um, and why. And so I just began to ask why and thus some projects were born out of this. So yeah, that's the quick way about my bio. And that is so critical because in, in that career of managed care and 
seeing that background, I'm sure, is an important lens as to how there are these inequities in our healthcare system. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it wasn't until I put the two and two together, you know, I was just in my mind had it siloed. This is what I did for work. But really, again, that experience that, you know, um, catapulted me into entrepreneurship. I now I'm a nurse entrepreneur. And so being able to uh, connect the dots, then I started to say, you know what, let me see, how can I take this experience and apply it to what's going on right now? We're in the midst of COVID. All of the numbers are showing uh, African-Americans are dying three to five times the rate uh, compared to other races, specifically the white race. And so, again, asking the question why, and it, then it led me to um, – much more data, information, and then solutions. Of course, we want solutions, right? If we're going to talk about it, let's be about solutions. So it really opened up, I want to say a good thing. I don't want to say Pandora's box. It really has been a blessing because it's opened up some great opportunities with uh, a new magazine that I created out of this. And I think that's a great way to look at it rather than being, it, it is negative, but you're solutions oriented. So then you see turn this into opportunities to to make a difference. So looking at this why, I think we've heard some reasons as to why there's this disparity, but what have you found, Michelle? Yes. Uh, well, a few things I found. So we'll just start with the vaccination. I know that's really the hot topic, although that wasn't the beginning. It really started with the mortality rate, but of course vaccinations, that's the hot topic right now. So we have to talk about two different parts to that disparity, because I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but there is almost like not even fast 5% of the population. I think it's anywhere from, it depends on the state, anywhere from 5 to 11% African-Americans that have been vaccinated so far with this rollout uh, as compared to their counterparts, which specifically we look at white race. I mean, there's other races, but they are usually somewhere between 40 to 45% being vaccinated. So that's one big disparity as far as the vaccine, but there's two parts to that. It is access to the vaccine because the way it's being rolled out in certain states, those who are most vulnerable, and again, we're the most vulnerable because we're passing away at higher rates, which you mentioned already, they're not receiving any, the, the vaccine, which is right now our biggest weapon against this pandemic, this this virus, excuse me. But the other part of this, in which I'm sure you've heard, of course, is the mistrust of the healthcare system due to years of structural racism, really. Uh, And then, of course, the things that have happened, tragedies that have happened through the years in in the course of medicine and in healthcare. Um, We can talk about many of those things, but do you see the the double-edged sword here where either populations who need it the most aren't receiving it and they don't have access to it because it's rolled out, at least in here in Florida. It depends on the state because the governors are in control of the rollout. But in Florida, our governor is saying seniors first, seniors first. That's the theme of his rollout. So we look at the seniors, okay? Those seniors most times for this rollout here live in uh, extended care facilities. They might live in assisted care. Well, what does that population consist of? The majority of those patients and clients are not African-American. They're people who can afford to live there, which most times are the majority 
white people. So they are getting the vaccines first. Um, and then healthcare, frontline healthcare workers are the next, and they're receiving the vaccines. Well, let's look at that population. Frontline workers, most times, especially for this particular virus, are registered nurses because they're on the front lines, and most of them are in ICUs because that's where you need this this care, this type of care for this virus. I don't know the numbers, but the majority there are not African Americans in the ICUs. Um, so, you know, when you look at the data, it's just really, you know, I don't know the word <laughs> I want to say skewed, but uh, because it just not it's not being rolled out to where we are. Uh, and I say we as African-Americans. So the majority of people who received it are not the highest at risk. Um, so on the other half of the coin, I mentioned the, the trials. And I don't know if you want to go down, you know, and talk about that. But those are the couple of things that are really affecting the numbers uh, when it comes to vaccine, um, the vaccine rollout right now. To make the make it more accessible to well when we look at and take seriously this kind of a disparity what could we do have you do you have an idea of a a, a really good way to get the vaccine to to the well maybe more senior black population but really just uh, the black population in general mhm yeah and i think because of the two pieces that we talked about, but it does start with trust. Um, and I do believe that in it, I could be biased because I'm a nurse, but I believe nurses are the key to that specifically black nurses, which I, I believe we need to an amplified voice in this because um, in two reasons, nursing, I don't know if you know this, but the past 17 years with polls has been the most trusted profession repeatedly 17 years in a row. So for me, being able to leverage that trust that the public sees or, you know, feels from us is one voice that we need to have, to me, right at, at, at the front lines, because that's the best way to garner trust with people who you trust. But the second part of that is, if it's Black nurses, they're reflective of what who we want to target. It's representation. It's being able to relate to or you know, which leads to the trust uh, to our community. So if we were able to go out and do some sort of boots on the ground campaigns, we've talked about this in my circles, you know, being able to do almost like a town hall or if we can't do it, you know, in person online, but being able to get those messages out with people who look like us and they can ho hopefully ask the questions that are on their minds, get good information. I think that's another piece. There's so many mis the myths and misinformation, so much misinformation out there that people are making decisions based on not, not the best information. So I think a combination of all of that could lead to um, an improved rollout where if we had access to give it, but we could also do the trust and the education to go along with it to increase 
the numbers. That's our solution. <laughs> so could, could you see or have you talked about maybe it would be some sort of a, a mobile unit, whether it was vans or, you know, how they've had, I don't know that it could be quite this big because this has been going on like with the mammogram trucks that would go out and do the screenings. Could there be something on that basis that would go to the communities? Because, and I say this in part too, because I've heard that just getting to a a location can be a challenge for many people. Absolutely. 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 I I love that idea. I've seen that it's smaller, you know, on a smaller scale where some nurses or healthcare organizations are doing that, having a a mobile unit. Um, And then, and I'll give you one example as well, even though, it doesn't speak to the, the mobile piece. Uh, in Florida, when we started the rollout, it initially went to, we have a, a chain called Publix. I don't know if you have it where you are, but it was really a, kind of a higher chain, grocery chain. So people were outraged because, okay, we still don't have access. There's not a Publix in, within 10 miles of these neighborhoods. So now the the second rollout went to pharmacies, local pharmacies. So they're trying to get it closer to every community, and then third, again, I don't know if you've heard this, but Walmart is now the next uh, big chain to take a part of this rollout. So uh, it's believed that they're really focusing on retail, you know, space that can accommodate, you know, the having the vaccine being given in their um their their space. So it's happening, but just you know, slowly, and again. If we could definitely get the mobile piece in there, that would take it right to the heart uh, of the cities. So in your estimation, then, the, a mobile piece really would be able to get it more more directly to the to the people who need it. And, and if it can be nurses of color, then that would bridge that distrust piece, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yes, ma'am. Well, okay. Great. So there's a campaign to to get moving very quickly. <laughs> yes, that would be wonderful. Well, next comes the money. So I think, of course, oh. that's the issue with that. Um, having who's going to pay for it, that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, it really, do, it does speak to even just a small campaign. If we could have those nurses who are um, attached to clinics, I don't know you if you've heard of. Um, like this rural rural type clinic, they get federal dollars to do to have healthcare in in very rural areas. So that's another uh, way that the government is tackling that as well. But if we could get that voice to them about the the mobile units, that would be wonderful. Well, it certainly then would bridge certain areas uh, where people are more remote and wouldn't have access to, say, a pharmacy or, you know, to any shopping areas. So it would would help people to get it. And, and then is it a factor that there is enough vaccine consistently to get to the people? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the, uh, one of the last concerns. Um, and just to really wrap up what we just said, I also wanted to say sometimes the transportation is an issue, which I know that's probably why you mentioned the mobile, that a lot of people in certain areas, vulnerable areas, don't even have the transportation to go get the vaccine, even if they wanted to. So, yeah. But to answer that question, 
I do think that um, the role, again, a lot of it has hinged on, on the government and the governors. So they are only receiving it in waves. They receive a lot distributed, and then there's a wait until the next lot comes in. So it goes back to manufacturing, the the distribution chain. They're increasing their efforts. The the pharmaceutical companies are to get it out as fast as they can. And now I I need to look at the updates, but I hear that Johnson & Johnson, I believe as a Friday, applied for FDA approval for their vaccine, which will put another hat in the ring. Uh, although I don't, I, I don't know if you've seen the numbers there, uh, effective rate, effectiveness rate was a, a, lo- a little lower than the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. They came at about 85% effective, where the others were over 90%. And, and I heard a little bit about effectiveness. And uh, can you talk to, to us a bit about that, Michelle, as to what being 85% or 90% effective means? Yeah, it just really means in a in a very easy way to remember is that it, does the vaccine do what it's set out to do, which is really boost your immune system response when and if you're exposed to the vaccine. So it really kind of prepares your body before anything should happen up to 85%, up to 90% or more. I believe it's even higher than 90. I don't have the numbers, but where where if by chance you're exposed, you have a, that amount of um, of uh, chance of being able to replicate the um, immune bodies that you need to fight it off and be ready to, to kill it as opposed to being hit with it and not being able to respond quick enough because apparently the, the virus is a very quick virus. And so that's why there's been such a high mortality rate with it. When it comes, it's very fast. Um, and it attacks the body very, very quickly. So it seems to me, though, even at an 85% efficiency rate, uh, if we have that vaccine within us and we, you know, caught the virus, it we would still be able to fight it fairly strongly, couldn't we? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that's why, you know, Johnson & Johnson moved forward. Uh, we were waiting to see if they would have apply with that number and they feel that way like even with that number it's better than you know zero chance you you have more than a fighting chance because you have um the preparedness to be ready to fight immediately as opposed to trying to drum up the uh, needed antibodies to fight it off and your body's trying to figure out what it is and how do i fight this off it's already ready to, to do that so is this a focus for you as well then on building up our immune system? Because I know you now have a new magazine, The Color of Wellness. Is is that part of it is building up, um, you know, our own personal health rather than just relying on the medical system? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so excited to, to talk about this because – for me, it was a way to take it to the heart of the cities. Like we just talked about, the mobile campaign would be the boots on the ground right in the city. Well, for me, I was—I'll tell you a little bit about the story how that happened. Like 
as a nurse, I'm sitting home, and when the pandemic first started, I'm seeing all of my colleagues on social media talk about, you know, what they were fighting, what they were up against. And I mean, there were days I was in tears, and I'm sitting home working from home, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, we've never seen anything like this in all the days I've been a nurse. So it was just a heart of compassion. Like, what can I do to help? I haven't been on the floor in years. I've always worked in office. So I knew I couldn't do that. But it was a way for me to leverage what I had done, which was look at the trends, look at the data. I told you that earlier. So I knew the numbers. Like, if this is not controlled, the vulnerable people will be wiped out, really, because even with non-virus concerns, chronic diseases, and so forth, we know that they are much higher in vulnerable communities. So we really were already walking into this at a lessened advantage. So long story short, just being able to put those pieces together, I feel I felt like even if we could get education out into our communities just to talk about staying well, to talk about immunity, to talk about what can we do to all parts of, of wellness going. And it's, of course, not just physical, but it's mental, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's financial. All these parts make up wellness and well-being, meaning wholeness. And I felt like we could just do that then at least we have had a voice from our side. But then on their side, the clients might have a fighting chance to do what they could at home before, you know, things got too bad or at least pass it on to the next generation. If it's too late for one person, then continue to pass the information on and teach the next generation so we can break the cycle of this chronic disease, unhealthy habits that we have just kept going on for generations. Does your mother factor into this? You kind of alluded to how she was instrumental in your becoming a nurse. So is that part of the story? <laughs> yeah, she is my why. She is my why. Why I work. <laughs> I want to say so hard, but it doesn't feel like work because I love what I do. But yeah, um, my mother was my best friend. I lost her in 2015. I'm sorry. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my Brit Business was born the very next year. And the story I always tell about my mother and I, because it was just her and I, uh, we were, again, my best friends. And so she had served as a certified nurse's assistant for as long as I could remember. Uh, so she worked nights, and she would always tell the stories about the nurses and the patients. And so, yes, that strung me into going into nursing. Um, and we, But she would always have this joke that, to me, spoke bigger than what she would say. She'd say, oh, I was almost a nurse. I, I almost got my degree. I had just one year left and I dropped out because I fell in love, but I was going to go back and get my degree. But that's okay. I still love what I do. And I'm better than the nurses that are really nurses anyway. She would just, you know, have these jokes and things. So I felt like really underneath all of that, at the end of the day, she left the earth and never achieved her true dream, which I know she did want to have that title. So it was because of that, that pain through that grief of losing her that I said, I'm going to wrap up what I love, take my love for coaching people. I was always the coach and the preceptor and the mentor, the certified mentor, and help as many people as I could, help other nurses reach their dreams and whatever that looked like. So my, my business was born out of that through her. And so she's my why every day. <laughs> why I do what I do. And so, yeah, it started uh, really a movement where I've helped 
now over 100 nurses start businesses. Most of them are African-Americans and just really built up a tribe. We have over 4,000 in our community on Facebook. And from that is how, you know what, let's leverage the people. Let's get together as a community. What can we do with this magazine? So the contributors inside of the magazine uh, PhDs, DNPs, all levels of nursing, and it's just amazing to hear and see their beautiful stories come together. So we built a, you know, a community, a family, and now something tangible that we can leave to the communities that we serve. So, yeah. <laughs> What a beautiful story of arriving at this. Thank you for sharing that background with us, Michelle. So to find the magazine, how do we go about doing that? Yes, thank you. It, our, our website is colorofwellness.co, and that's .co. There's no M at the end. So you can go to our website and... I believe there's a digital issue or print option if you like, and we renew the new subscription, the new issue every month on the 20th. So right now, what you will see is our January issue, our inaugural issue. So that one was more so about inauguration, fresh starts, new thinking, new habits. What we're going to do different this year, uh, but you'll also see the preview to the one that launches on the 20th, which is about love, about Black women and heart health. It's about um, mental health as well. And then we also talk about the Black AIDS um, Day, which is in February as well. So we try to theme it around what's current, what's trending, and having the nurses bring their own unique perspectives around a certain theme for the month. And one of the key things I heard in that was about heart health. And, of course, uh, it, it just for women in general, it's a, a, a number one killer. Certainly mm-hmm. with black women, it's it's even stronger because of a lot of pre-existing conditions that just are kind of handed down, as you had kind of alluded to earlier, uh, in terms of general health that is generational. Mm-hmm. So here, there's an opportunity to, to learn more and to find those proactive steps to become more healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's the goal, right? That is. <laughs> so, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. We always make sure there's three things I wanted to make sure as the editor in chief is to make sure one, yes, we have something that spoke to the youth and something that mothers could share with children. Because again, if we don't share it with our next generation, then that's the missing piece. So I wanted to make sure we always had that in there. Uh, second, there's always going to be an interactive piece. Um, meaning you actually get to write in the magazine. There's always going to be an activity of some sort. And I just drew back on, you know, thinking about the times growing up with my mom, where we would get the newspaper and fill out the crossword puzzles in the back or um, certain types of puzzles. So that really is my way of honoring my mother, but at the same time having people do something tangible that they could write and know this is mine and I'm going to work on this activity for the month. So that's uh, people love that. I've gotten great feedback on that piece. Um, and then lastly, we like to spotlight the businesses. A lot of these nurses have businesses or even local businesses who find out, found out about the magazine. They are advertising in there, of course. So there's advertising opportunities, but lastly, the bigger piece is how do we get this out to the masses? And so we have organizations, schools of nursing, 
doctor's offices. We have a few nurses who are nurse practitioners who have their own offices. They're buying in bulk. And so it's just, that's how we get the, the, the message out. So how can we get this out to the people everywhere? Wow, that is so phenomenal. What a great uh, effort this is. Just begun The Color of Wellness and find that online at colorofwellness.co. And if all of this that we've heard you share about your life, Michelle, weren't enough, you're also an author. And so as we wrap up, we should mention one of your more recent books uh, in, in case we do have people wanting to to search for your for your writing. <laughs> Yes, thank you. I was bitten by the, the the writing bug a few years ago and started to write. So the books that we are speaking of today is I have a total of eight. <laughs> but this one I wanted to make for, again, drawing on my background in managed care, talking very similar topic, meaning wellness, but this is more specifically towards places of employment, uh, if we are an employee, finding ourselves not being healthy at work, uh, snack machines, not taking a break, not getting out to walk. We talk about all that. How do we stay well at work? But also there's a piece in there for employers to say, what can we do to put things in place? So there are options and there are stru- things structured into the culture of the workplace so that we make sure our employees are staying well as well. So same type of concept where I'm all about wellness and in mass. <laughs> I like the, the group wellness concept. So I do, you know, corporate wellness. So I wanted to speak to that. And because at that time it was a thing as people just, I felt being overworked and not taking care of themselves, self-care being last. And so I wanted to make sure both the employer and the employee could some, take some time and, and think about that. And so this book is When the Red Arrow Points Up, The Cost of Wellness at Work. Well, Michelle, this has been so great. We covered, I think, a lot of territory, really key points. And uh, I think it's great that this is available as a podcast after the fact because people may hear this and go, oh, my gosh, that was so much information. But a podcast (laughs) is always something we can go back to and uh, hear parts or all of it all over again. So thank you so greatly for being you and following the path that uh, brings you joy and fulfillment and for taking time with us this morning. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. It just warms my heart to to get this message out. And I pray that our nation can get the answers and get the solutions so that we can, you know, really end this pandemic at the end of the day. So I thank you. Hopefully it helps someone and they can can find me on Amazon as well. Excellent. Again, many thanks. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Michelle Green Rhodes and Sunday Morning Magazine with Jason Greer. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email k-a-t-e-d at warm1069.com and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. 
I now wish you and your family a day of openness of the heart, the mind, the spirit to embrace all of humanity as family. Have a week of the same and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.